As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. We haven't had a dry race at Le Mans for two years, but today's French MotoGP was under sunny skies and it was an absolute belter. Out of the heat haze came Inea Bastianini to take his third win from seven Grand Prix this year. In a great mid-race battle with Peko Bagnaia, it was Bastianini's year-old Ducati that caught up and passed Bagnaia, with the factory Ducati then falling a few corners later. With 20 points in the bag, it was a huge lost opportunity for Banyaya, who now has an awful lot of work to do in the championship. Oh, Bastianini is going in the right direction, though, in that championship table. Works Ducati rider Jack Miller bagged second, whilst Argentine GP winner Alicia Spargaro netted his third, third place on the bounce. But the French fans only had eyes for Fabio Quattararo, who after a poor start came home fourth to keep his championship lead as we roll towards Mugello, the Italian MotoGP, in just two weeks' time. In amongst the Gallic fans was Simon Patterson, Valentin Hurunshi, and me, Toby Moody, we watched from afar. What we're going to talk about today is Bastianini battering them out of the park. Banyaya got a whole load of soul-searching to do as he goes into his home GP that he should have won last year. Quateraro stealthily keeping that championship lead, but Aprilia's Aspargaro closes in as they maybe enjoy being the underdogs. Suzuki and KTM, again, another weekend. Well, I won't say it wasn't for the family album. It was maybe even worse than that. It's getting to be a disaster. And we are going to answer your first, the first of your questions that you have sent in to us with a couple of your voice messages that we have received from you. So then, Enea Bastianini, we didn't see that one coming. He crashed three times on Saturday and he comes out the victor come Sunday. Who's going to go first, Val or Simon? It looks like it's Val who's raised his hand. What a day for him. I just I just like to make it clear I didn't like raise my hand. It was a metaphorical hand on on the software we use. This is not cool. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, uh, we didn't see it coming before the race, I think, because before the race, once it became clear that it was going to be uh, dry throughout. I think Fabio was a was a heavy favorite, and Banyai in good form was the the second option. But once Bastianini got the the really good start that he did, and then started to to hang the two factory Ducatis up ahead. I mean, we've seen this movie before. The the Jaws music starts starts playing once you see uh, Enea Bastianini in second place with with ten laps to go. You know what's coming. I I, I think Banyai is. Biggest mistake, honestly, was that he, he fought it at all because there was no other way that that fight was going to end, and they 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 don't have his race longevity figured out yet. And he's still the the absolute king of that, clearly. Yeah, for for me, the minute it became apparent uh, was the minute that Juan Mir crashed out of third place, just in front, um, or sorry, just behind fourth place, just behind Bastianini. Um, 
he was the person that I thought would be the real threat after the first few laps, after um, a completely manic first few laps, actually. The, the start of the race was really chaotic. Um, and once things settled down a little bit, it, I sort of knowing Mir, knowing his ability to really stretch out uh, a set of tires, I thought he would be the threat. Um, the minute he made that mistake and, and disappeared out of the fight for the win, it was like, okay, so this is Bastianini's. Um He's, you know, the Ducati guys have explained this in the past. He's so smooth. He's so consistent. He's so constant that he doesn't eat up tires the way that everyone else on their bike does. Um, someone, someone asked Miller about it in the post-race press conference. You know, this is the second time he's done this because he did this to you in Texas earlier this year. And Miller was like, no, the little little bastard has done this multiple times to me this is like the 15th time he's done it to me <laughs> he keeps doing it um and and that's a direct that's quote, a direct quote. Way, little bastard that, and you could see you could see bastianini going like is that was that a compliment <laughs> was that? i think he got a little i bit. mean miller's aussie but so the, it the rest was of it was all compliments um but uh but yeah it, it, like you say val it was completely inevitable and <sighs> paco bagnaya bagnaya I thought had got past this. Um, he said a thing in the past where he is really bad under pressure and he has cracked whenever he's been really put under it. Um, and there's been two performances of late. There, there was that incredible last three laps against Mark Marquez at Aragon last year. And then there was the entire race last week at Hareth where he led from start to finish with uh, Fabio Quartararo right behind him. And they both made me think, Oh, he's he's kind of got over that. He's, you know, he's beyond it. But yeah, it's just another one to add to the long list. It it is essentially what cost him the title last year because he did the exact same thing. He crashed when he was put under a bit of pressure at Mizano and, and threw away his title hopes at the time. Um, mm. It's mm. and Mugello. yeah, yeah, and Mugello, of course, last year. First and, lap. and going back even further, um, the first race that he should have ever won. At Mizano was a Pramac rider the year before that. And, you know, there's a long list of these races where he looks like he's got a good result coming. Someone puts him under a bit of pressure and it all falls apart. Yeah. I mean, the thing for me, when, you know, he he, he led the start of the lap on which he crashed, which was lap 22, he got past, uh, he got, he got, Bastianini got past Bagnaia. And then in that double right that finishes the lap, he was just turning in, but he tilted his head. It was as if he was looking at the big screen. And as soon as he moved his head, he fell off. I mean, I'm not a MotoGP rider. None of us are on this podcast. But as soon as he tilted his head, I've been back. I've looked at it. I've looked at it. I've looked at it. As soon as he tilted his head, so maybe look at the big screen that's on the inside of that corner, he dropped it. It's entirely possible that that's exactly what he was doing, checking to see how far back Jack Miller was on them. Um, but, you know, he'd also got a warning earlier in the lap. Um, he'd ran wide earlier in the lap. He, um, he'd he sort of taken the long lap loop a uh, couple of corners before because I would imagine because his tyres weren't in as good a shape as, as Bastianini's were because that's what Bastianini's good at. And And like you say, Val, exactly like you say, he should know better. Um, I understand that the pressure, the pressure that these guys are under, as factory Ducati riders to beat the third tier satellite guy using their bike from last year, but Bagnaia's got a contract for next year already and a title to fight for. He, he doesn't have to be dumb when he could have finished second. It would have been a Ducati one, two, three. Everybody, everyone would be slapping each other in the back and pouring each other prosecco right now, and there'd be nothing to worry about. And instead, we're we're looking at another title campaign starting to slip away. Not being not being privy to the to the exact mechanics of the crash, I I struggle a little bit to to pass judgment. But I will say that to me, it seems like a typical not even Banyaya crash, a typical Alex Rins crash, which is when you don't know when when to cut your losses. He was he was not going to be first after he went went wide through the through the penalty loop. That was done. His race victory was done. At that point, it was time to go, okay, let Enea go, bring it home in second. And he crashes a few corners later. Maybe his tires weren't in quite in right condition after he'd made already one mistake, but maybe he just didn't know when to 
went to fold him and went to walk away. But as Miller said after the race, when he was following Banyaya, he could see that Banyaya was having massive moments. Uh, he could yeah. also see that Bastianini would bolt and go. That's what happened. That's ultimately what happened, you know. And, and it's, it's not very often that it's Jack Miller that's the voice of reason in these situations. Mm, quite. But, you know, he knew to cut his losses. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, now, the other thing that hit me when the pair of them were having that battle, I thought, hang on a minute, they're both on Ducatis. One's the, the big dog because he's on the factory bike. One's the underdog because he's on the blue bike. This ain't going to end well. They're going to have a clash and then the war is going to start. But, of course, actually, we need to give our listeners a bit of a backstory here that, as you said already, Simon, Banyaya has got 23 in his pocket. He's got a deal for next year. So 18 months, he's fine. Um, but where are they going to put Bastianini? And are the rumours that going around that Banyaya's saying, oh, I quite like Miller as my teammate because he's less strife. Well, they're not rumours in part because uh, Bagnaia straight up admitted that he would rather have Jack as his teammate because he's the guy he knows. They've been teammates since 2019 in Primark days and they're friendly and they converse and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, funnily enough, there was absolutely no loss, love lost whenever he mentioned Martin in that context. Um, he did say that obviously him and him and NEA know each other quite well and him and Bestier speak the same language. Him and Martin, Martin would be okay as a teammate. There was no love lost in the tone of it. He didn't even use the guy's first name. But um, yeah, Bastinini fired shots, very much fired shots in the, not in the post-race press conference, but just after it, talking to a couple of us, he said that um, he, he believes that Bagnaya wants Miller as a teammate because he's easier because he's easier to ride against as a teammate than Bart Martina or Bastianini would be, um, which <laughs> makes sense. Um, I mm. see where he's coming from, but um, Ducati have a problem. Ducati have an exceptionally talented rider who is not performing and who's crashing his brains out at the minute, but who everyone in the paddock thinks is a future star in the form of Jorge Martin. They've got a guy who no one rated until they put him in a MotoGP bike who's won three out of this year's seven races on last year's machinery and is doing an exceptional job. And then they've got the guy that everyone assumed was going to be sacked who's currently the best Ducati in the championship. Like, what do you do? It's a... Not easy. I, I there's, there's a lot of things that need to be mm. compressed into a very small number of seats. And Bastianini's manager is the best manager in the paddock. Exactly. <laughs> and off you go. <laughs> I mean, if he's the best manager of the paddock, he should have advised Bastianini not to say what he said. But, you know, anyway. Um, Un unless, it, you know, Bastianini wanted it out there. Carlo yeah, Pernat thought it was a good idea to get it out there. It's got him a lot of headlines. Uh, it's It's got him 25 points. The other bloke, none. I think he's won today. He's gone in his head. Well, He's gone in his head. Like, retroactively? But is he competing against Bagnaya? No, he's not. He's, he's competing, competing against, against Miller and, and, and Martin. He's competing right against That's Jack Miller, whose who's biggest claim to that seat is the harmony he obviously enjoys with Banyaya. It is yeah. extremely And, and with the whole Ducati camp. Yeah. Uh, we're, uh, we're, he's competing against Ducati, getting into their heads that a red bike, he's not going to win this year's championship, but a blue bike might. That's the fight he's got. The thing is, uh, Ducati CEO Claudio Domenicali and Ducati course general manager Gigi Deligna are so desperate for a Ducati world championship they yeah. would not care if the bike was pink with fluorescent green polka dots they just want a Ducati winner they are the I, I'm not going to say mercenary but like they genuinely do not care which one of their bikes wins a championship get it over the line that's why there's five factory bikes in the grid yeah uh, and, and it's it's one of the year old ones somehow that that leads the way. But yeah, no, I I think Miller has again and again proved himself to be a, a good team player. I can't really, apart from the fact that he's sometimes overly candid with the media about not being happy with his contractual situation, I cannot think of a circumstance where Jack Miller has not played the team game. Even today, he's done like he he could have defended from Banyaya in the moment that Banyaya took the lead. Mm. He did not do it. He realized that Banyaya might want to go, and there's no reason to hold him up. Um, that's an asset. The, the, like the fact that he'll do that is 
it is quite useful, but at, at the same time, you know, going back to Peko's preference for a teammate, I think there are two riders on this MotoGP grid who have the right to choose their teammate, and one rider, Mark Marquez, is currently losing that ride because he's not where he was right now, and the other rider is Fabio Quartararo, who just doesn't seem too bothered, really. But yeah, Fabio. if Fabio says, put my dad on the other bike, Yamaha would probably have to do it, but he won't, <laughs> so yeah. The um, you know proof of how loyal Jack Miller is. Um, I asked him a really tough question. To be frank, in the press conference, I asked him and Bastianini if they were fighting against each other for the seat, essentially. And he could have attacked me. He could have attacked Bastianini. And he said, "Well, he's won three races this year, and he's an Italian riding for an Italian manufacturer. What do you think?" So even in that moment, he was still towing the Ducati line and, and sort of accepting that. What will be, will be. Just going back to your Domenicali Delinia comment about they just need another victory. I will repeat myself until the cows come home. They've been in this championship 20 years and they've won one title. Um, they need a Ducati to win a title. But what a fairy tale. What a fairy tale. It's like Braun GP in 2009. It would be something that we would talk about forevermore if a Grassini bike won the title. Yeah. Wow, with with the history, with the, what that team has done, what they've been through in the past eighteen months, it would be one of the most phenomenal stories in the history of motorsport. And it would say on this piece of paper, Ducati winners, job done. And Ducati will milk it to the hilt. Let's not forget exactly. that Enea Bastianini is a Ducati employee. He's not a Grassini Racing employee. He's yep. a Ducati employee. He's contracted to them. They've got first dibs on using them whatever way they want to promote whatever happens next, and they're not afraid to do that. Mm. They've got to decide and get into their heads and be sanguine with it. This is factory Bologna Ducati. Right, we've now got to get be fully, even more behind Grassini to, to, to get them. And if and if Peko is, uh, Bagnaia is not delivering, then he's going to have to have team orders, manufacturer orders even if you follow that would be quite um, the picture but yeah it's plausible that, that would be plausible. quite the picture yeah. yeah 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 i mean you know let's just review from the top of the championship quattro leads four ahead of alacia spargaro eight ahead of bastianini so uh, yeah and then a golf to rins i believe yeah it will be uh and then 33 back of the lead is alex rins who of course has scored nil point for the last two grand prix so, uh, so yeah, that, that talk is going to be quite something. Uh, let us remind ourselves that Bastianini had, didn't ride Mugello last year. He got knocked off as he came to the grid. We might forget that in the Bagnaia kerfuffle of the first lap. So I can't wait to see what Bastianini can do at the big Tuscan racetrack. You know, actually, uh, the TV didn't catch it, but in that race, he, he, he got knocked off. He got back on the bike. He rode half a lap and crashed again. So it was even worse than you think it was. <laughs> But here's the thing, if he wins next weekend, next time out on Michello, he'll get off the bike and Dominicale being the winner's enclosure with the contract. There you are. Exactly. Exactly. That's the, 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 at the end of the day, they are they're the most unusual MotoGP team on the grid in that they are the one where sometimes the heart still rules the head. They they proved that with how they got rid of Lorenzo by being completely dumb in what they said and being too passionate about what they said but that that is how Ducati works yeah. they are a team built on passion yeah. yeah just just to remind what Simon's talking about they got rid of Lorenzo on a Friday and he won the Grand Prix on the Sunday and won a load more in the weeks following because of comments made at, at Le Mans by Domenicali that was what ended the relationship he called Lorenzo a, a great rider but no longer a champion dear Three-time MotoGP champion. Oh, dear. I think if you look, uh, Jorge Lorenzo's Twitter byline still says, not just a, not just a great rider, a five-time yeah. world champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Right, well, uh, let's see how that one pans out. In two weeks' time, Mugello. Oh, Ducati. Oh, dear, oh, dear. We're going to have some fun there. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Jack Miller, second position for him at Le Mans. Pretty happy with that. Um, He's, yeah, more than happy, I should think. But... Is it just odd with Jack? Because he knows he's not the chosen one at the moment. I can use that expression, can't I, Val? Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, I. Uh, there's been an undercurrent with with Jack and and Ducati that he's never quite been the the priority rider. I think going back to when there was something going on where he found out that the, there might be a push to have him replaced at Pramac with Jorge Lorenzo. When Lorenzo was struggling at Honda, uh, and that I think there's just generally the general impression that Miller is not the chosen one. Yeah, you're right. I, I like I like the phrase you used. Um, he's accepted that really nicely. He's he likes being a Ducati rider despite that. I guess he doesn't have delusions of grandeur. But I I don't see how he wins a championship at Ducati then if if that's the way it is. And honestly, if he goes elsewhere, I think the odds, they still won't be great. Because I think at this point, we have an idea of what Jack Miller is as a MotoGP rider. And that is a really, really good MotoGP rider who can't quite put it all together over a season. But if he goes to somewhere else, I think the chance would be slightly bigger. Just a little bit. I, I think that um, maybe not even that. I don't. I, I never see Miller win in a championship. I, I just don't see it happening at any point. Um, but potentially there is an argument to be made that if he goes elsewhere, there's a chance of the good days being better. Because at the minute, it always seems that whenever he has a good day, there's someone who's a little bit faster. On the same bike. Or on a year-old version of that bike. But yeah. Sometimes, sometimes yeah, like twice this year, that's been the case. But even uh, going back to last year as well at Jerez, yeah, he, he won a race where he was second best, but Fabio Cuadraro got arm pump. Yeah. Um, and, and that's always kind of, you know the the feeling with Jack that he's he's always always the bridesmaid, um, and and I know he's he's won races in wet and dry, but yeah, I think that he might have worse bad days on a Honda or in a KTM, but his good days might be better. I just look at the way he is, and never mind that he's won Grand Prix, but I I just always think of Colin Edwards. He's just relaxed now and gone, yeah, okay, I'll do what I can. I'll get paid a load of money. I might accept that I'm not going to be a world champion against him, him, and oh, that guy here, blimey, he's a bit quick. Uh, it's a bit like Rubens Barrichello against Michael Schumacher. Um, just go with the fl- Eddie Irvine. Science at the moment with Leclerc. Just, just take the money kind of thing, kind of thing. Be there if there's an opportunity, but... Yeah, if they're paying him very well, it does concentrate the mind. Uh, that's just my angle. There's a risk of veering too far into Formula One, but I don't. I'm not sure it quite applies to Barrichello and Sainz. Who Barrichello certainly got got quite ornerly about that. Arvine certainly. But in in Miller's case, what what the the big factor for me is that still sort of gives me pause. He's not Zarco. Zarco's in that position where he's just happy to to make a career and get however many years he can out of this MotoGP thing. And I don't think he sees himself... Probably because he almost lost his career. Yeah. It was on a complete knife edge. Yeah. Uh, In Miller's case, it's because he's been around forever, so it's always easy to forget. And I think think we all do. Still really young, like relatively speaking. He's still got years and years if if the performance level is there. I mean, and, and looking at... He might look over at the Aprilia garage and see a 32-year-old rider who's never won a Grand Prix race before this year suddenly be a genuine MotoGP title contender somehow and riding exceptionally well. So he might look at Andrea Dovizioso uh, from a few years back 
who recovered his career at Ducati and was runner-up three times. He might see that for himself, but where is is a good yeah. question. Valid point. Mm, valid point. I, I have to say that the complete opposite end of that spectrum of the guys who are potentially there to see, not see out their time, but the, the guys who are there to make a good career out of being a, a, a good MonoGP rider, the, the Colin Edwards, the Zarcos, the maybe Millers. For me, the reason that Alicia Espigaro is having such a good year is because he is the complete opposite end of that spectrum. Um, and that's what Aprilia love about him the most, um, is that he is the 110% guy. He is the guy who, you know, on his days off is out doing eight hour bicycle rides to be as fit as he can. He's the guy who's spending hours in every debrief. He's the guy who's pushing every session. And, and that might be because he's had to fight. He's not at the relatively easy ride that Miller in some ways has. Like that's, you know, Miller came into MotoGP in a three year contract direct from Moto3. I, I, which is a, a luxury that no rookie gets. Um, so, yeah, so Alicia's had to fight more. He's come up the hard way through CRT and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I see those two as just very different characters. It's not taking anything away from Miller. Um, and he's probably more talented. But, uh, you know, that, that's sort of the nature of the game sometimes is that sometimes hard work pays off, sometimes talent pays off. And sometimes the maturity, which is, I think, what you're saying about Aleish. He's he's done it all before. Yeah. And he's got, I don't know, eight years on Jack. Yeah, at, at this point. I also believe that Miller is more, more talented than Aleish because of, like, the years and years and years of relative evidence. But I just, I don't know anymore. I'm I'm starting to get, like, this Aprilia fairy tale, Aleish says it makes little sense to him. It, I think it's confounded all of us because now whatever teammate Aprilia ends up throwing at him, he devours. <laughs> and now that the bike, now that the bike is good enough to start devouring other bike manufacturers too, he's he's basically doing that. He's he's up there week in week out. I, impossible to imagine three years ago, or at least possible to imagine, but impossible to bet on because it it just felt like Aprilia was too uneven. Too, too weird that those victories over Reading, Yanone, Sam Lowe's, uh, that they, you know, there was an, an outside factor to them. But maybe he's just that good. Yeah, that's, you know, exactly what I was going to say. This is Alicia's, uh he's been at Aprilia now since 2016? 17. 2017. He's had a different teammate every year. Every single year he started the year with a different teammate. Every year, that teammate is arguably with a few blips here and there, got progressively faster. You know, we're going from like MotoGP rookie Sam Lowe's to MotoGP 2021 MotoGP race winner Maverick Vinales. And every single year, Alesh has beaten yeah. them. Every year, them. He's, he's found a bit more. Them. He's destroyed yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Annihilated them. And it's this is like former race winners like Andre Iannone and. Um, you know, former like top five championship guys like Bradley Smith, and he just mm. chewed them up and spat mm. them out. And he's doing it again with Maverick. There are some MotoGP champions, they win the first one and they go, right, that's the first one. Next, the Kennys, the Valentinos, the Lorenzos, the Mark, Marqueses. And there are other people who win a championship and go, I can't do that again. I've, I've just lined all the stars up from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. I can't do that again. Kenny Jr., Nicky Hayden. Uh, at the moment, in my box, Juan Mir. But I, I hope I'm wrong. But we'll, that's another discussion. Just hear me out. It's another discussion. But but um, do you kind of see what I'm saying? There's uh, Wayne Gardner. He was at 1987, and he won it once, and that was it. Maybe Alicia Spargaro is is that? Do you know what? This is the year. A bit like Nikki, because I did every race that year. You know, we're we're going to do this, and it's a bit like Braun GP. Christ, guy, we can do this. An Aprilia, uh, sorry, a uh, 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 Yamaha with all the money in the world, are looking over the shoulders, going, "Hang on a minute, who's this guy?" <laughs> Honestly, if if Aleish, if Aleish knew that he'd win the title this year or whatever, I think he'd be retiring at the season's end. That's that's my suspicion. He'd be like, okay, this is yeah. now to cycle. Yeah. This is good. Yeah, yeah. Alish would use his win bonus to form a form a pro cycling team, and we'd never see him at a race again. 
I, I genuinely, he would go out happy. But what a fairy tale. Yeah. This season, oh, blimey, it really is pretty good, isn't it? I mean, the fairy tale stories are just everywhere. There would there would definitely be, there would be no more of the, he wouldn't be racing in World Superbikes in 10 years' time. No. Or scrubbing around at the back on a bike his dad built six years later. Or, <laughs> yeah, there'd be none of that. Out of a Mercedes Sprinter, yeah. Yeah. You sold him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just remind me a minute, Simon. Uh, are we going to have another MotoGP Unlimited on Prime? No, we're not. Oh, dear. Whoever didn't sign that off. Yeah, well. Yeah, wow. Well, uh, Alicia Spargro, as I said at the top of the program, at the top of the podcast, uh, his third, third place on the bounce. It's just fantastic. It's just fantastic. So let's let's bounce on to Fabio Quattararo. Um, he scored 58 points from the 75 points available in the last three races. That's the most that anybody has done, has scored from those last three Grand Prix. Um, he was helped a bit by people falling off. He's got fourth position today, 13 points in the bag. He's leading by four, but he's not out the woods. Yeah, um, I've had a really like I had a really weird thought when I saw Fabio run to fourth and struggle to pass a leash, and I I relayed it to Simon, admitting that it maybe is unusual, but honestly, this race showed to me, and I think I'm I, I'm going to remain in that camp for the whole year. I think Fabio Quartararo is by far the best rider on this grid, by by a huge margin, because his he couldn't overtake his bike. Whatever overtakes his bike offers him, he will do. But Yamaha is just not a very overtaking bike right now, to put it mildly. And just look at where the other Yamahas were. My God, like just just look at them. Uh, oh, can I answer that for our listeners? Um, uh, uh, Fabio Quattararo in fourth, uh, forty-one minutes thirty-eight seconds, and the other three Yamahas were last, second last, and third last. Yeah, and they were at best. 20 can't let me sums here 25 seconds back yeah so second lap Morbidelli only got points because so many people crashed out Dovizioso was like 8 seconds behind him and Darren Binder was like another 20 nobody's doing anything with this bike like clearly at Le Mans something didn't work but Fabio still like had the best pace and if he didn't have the the poor start and didn't get roughed up by Takanakagami early on he probably would have been on the podium. And if he got a really good start, he would have won. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy how quick he is. And yeah, I don't know. He, I, I'm not sure he's winning this title. I, I don't know. I ruled out Yamaha at the start of the season. That was foolish, but I'm still not convinced. But I don't like, is he just stubbornly good enough to propel it to the title anyway? Maybe. Or, or, or is it a combination of that, Val, and the others are just completely nowhere? Absolutely, uh, that could be. Yeah. You could be, yeah. Simon, quick question. You spoke to Lynn Jarvis about this. How does he look at this? Because he didn't fall off a Christmas tree. He knows how to manage people in the garage. We, we to be perfectly honest, we haven't really spoken to Lynn Jarvis in a very long time. He's become very media shy. Um, there tends oh. to be not a lot of communication comes out of the Yamaha camp anymore, which is quite unusual because it used to be quite the opposite, as, as you know. Uh, mm. But they've yeah they've become quite quite media shy of late. Um, my my thinking on this is that I I think he's still the favorite for the title, but it won't be a title like last year's or a title like Mark Marquez used to win. It'll be a, a title like Juan Mir's in twenty twenty. It'll be one that sort of scrapes through with good results on the day, reasonable results on a bad day, and a bit of bad luck for everyone else around him that, that all comes together in the end. Um, he's really like, yeah, he's really struggling with that bike. Um, that's pretty obvious. Um, everyone else is really struggling with that bike. But I still think when he's on his day, he's, he's good enough that it'll all come together. Yeah, um, yeah, but it can't be that much of a dog. He's leading the bloody championship. Yeah, I know, I know, because when it's right, it's right. And this is a, a theme that Andrea Davizioso has been talking about this year quite a bit. So Davi has spent, or not this year, sorry, this weekend, Davi has spent all year trying to figure out how to ride the bike like Quattararo and has kind of conceded defeat this weekend and has just said, you know what, no one else can ride the bike like him. Yamaha are now 
Honda Circuit 2018, where there's one rider that can ride the bike. Um, and, and I think that has actually got real implications for silly season because I think that I, I, I actually agree with Dovi, uh, but I also think that it means that there's maybe no other bike in the grid that would allow Quattararo to be as Quattararo as he is. I think that if he went elsewhere, he'd really struggle right now because there's no other bike that can do what the Yamaha does best, with the possible of, with the possible exception of the Suzuki, which is disappearing off the grid. Because it's straight four. Yeah. yeah, and and you know the, we we were joking about this earlier. I was listening to some people, and and it sort of started as a joke, and then I got thinking about it, and it sort of turned into a thought that I'm going to write up a bit later in the week into a story. But if you were Fabio Quadraro right now, the the number one thing you do is start lobbying like hell anyone who would listen to convince MotoGP that that aero is the ruin of the sport and that all the wings should be stripped off the bikes because i think if you stripped all the aerodynamics off the bikes and let them be motorbikes again that yamaha because that's their weakness i think that is so much of their weakness comes from there they they don't understand aerodynamics none of the japanese factories particularly understand aerodynamics the way that ducati in particular do um, it's costing them massively in terms of top speed because it's adding a great big seal to the front of the bike that influences so much about it. Um, and it, it makes them more complicated to pass. It makes the Ducatis in particular really difficult to get past because we're, we're getting into that F1 territory of dirty air. And, and it, it's, I, I genuinely, the, the more I've been thinking about this today and, and actually from looking at social media, a few of Media Centre colleagues are thinking the same way. We we might be on the verge of a real cusp of MotoGP where we've created this phenomenally close championship, but there is a risk that it could become quite possessional if we continue to go down this very expensive road that has potentially partially drove Suzuki out of the championship as well, because it's where they are the weakest. It's their big, weak area. But I think you've also inadvertently made the the best case for keeping all the aero, at least for this year, because without that, Fabio's the quickest. He's going to pass everyone. He's going to win races and win the championship because yeah. he does not crash. He does not crash. No, he finishes he every race. Yeah. I think, honestly, if we take out the crashes, I think going forward, I fully expect Francesco Bagnaia to outscore him comfortably. But Bagnaia crashes. Carter does not. I, I mean, maybe we're looking at Fabio <clears throat> on a Yamaha, hand in glove like Marquez. You touched on it yourself, Simon. And maybe he's just going to win the next three or four on the trot. Uh, what's the weather going to do tomorrow? None of us know, let alone four years' time and a MotoGP result. But, but wow, maybe he's just that bloke that they need. And if the if the other three are at the back, doesn't matter, does it? But, and look at the next few races. Mugello, he's got a damn good chance. Yep. Assen, um, won it. Barcelona, he's got yep. a really good chance. Won it. Assen, great chance. Yeah, mm. we could go into the summer break. You could go into the summer break with that lead comfortably extended. Mm-hmm. But talking about people who don't, sorry, who, people people who finish every single race this year. There's only two people who finished every single race this year. One of them is Quattararo, and one of them is Alessio Spargaro. Yeah. So herein lies the uh, the fairy tale of of 2022. Wow. Uh, and plus Bastianini and Grassini. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. We can go on. We can go on. But yeah, Quattararo going to Mugello, they must be very happy. But likewise, Bastianini, as we as we have already touched on, Simon, it's actually quite nice that the, the two fairy tale stories of the year in MotoGP have kind of grown from the same seed, because both the the the, the Alicia Prilia fairy tale and the Bastianini uh, Grassini fairy tale probably wouldn't have happened if those two hadn't parted ways at the start of the season. They were the same team 12 months ago. A strong pro-divorce message from Simon there. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it's better to walk away from a relationship if it's not working for anyone. That is true. But maybe the wrong podcast for that, but that that is accurate. Right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll leave people on that note just for a moment. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. 
sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Now, as we mentioned last time out, one of the things that we're going to do is take your questions and put them in our MotoGP podcast. And your questions can be recorded through your telephone with your voice messages and sent to an email, podcasts at the-race.com. And we've got our first question here from Reese. Hi guys, I'm Reese from the UK, a big fan of the podcast. I just wanted to ask a question about the potential future of who's going to get the Suzuki grid slots. So it was said in a previous podcast that it had to be a factory and not an independent team. So I was wondering, would it be possible for another factory to step in by the intellectual property of the Suzuki bike? You know, keep on all the same staff, all the same structure, so people that know this bike can sort of jump into the championship with an extremely competitive bike, one that won the championship a couple of years ago. So do you think that would potentially be something Suzuki would be interested in? Uh, thank you if you have decided to answer my question. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, no one's going to get them, plain and simple. Um, I'm, I'm 99% certain of that. Um, they're not going to go to a satellite team because none of the satellite teams are going to want to divvy up the pot of cash, which is about 2.2 million euros each that they get for every rider from Dorner for the season. So, so no one's going to agree to give themselves less money and another rival to race against. Um, there is no MotoGP factory or there is no factory who is not in MotoGP who is any way ready to step in and uh, build a bike in the medium term, at least. Um, Triumph aren't interested. Kawasaki aren't interested. BMW aren't interested. And I don't really think there's anyone else with the, the spending power to to jump into it. Um, and and obviously, whenever Kawasaki pulled out of MotoGP in 2008, they, they did continue to run like a skeleton team with the old bike in 2009. But... There's no desire, it seems, to do that um, for no other... Well, you know, that largely happened because of a contractual dispute where Marco Melandri had signed a contract for the next season and they kind of had to run him. Trust me, neither Suzuki rider wants anything to do with anything that even looks or sounds like a Suzuki next year. They have been so badly burned by this mess that, yeah, they... I think if... If the board of directors turn up to a race, they'll be getting a very cold shoulder from their current riders. So there's no desire to do anything like that. Don't want to put a statement out before the French Grand Prix weekend. Or Suzuki did apologies, saying, oh, you know, well, we're having a chat and all this kind of stuff. But just to remind people, there's a five-year deal that the manufacturers signed to remain in MotoGP, and that works both ways. Dorna gets stability knowing that a manufacturer is going to stay for those five years. Um, and that works in a secondary and tertiary way in Dorna then being able to sell the championship to sponsors and go, hey, we've got Yamaha, Honda, Suzuki, KTM, Ducati, Aprilia, and they're going to be with us for the next umpteen years or so. And now Dorna have had one of those factories, six factories, say, do you know what? After the first year of five, I'm off. Nobody would, I'm dying to know the contract, the paragraph that says, what is the financial penalty for leaving after year one, two, three, and four? doesn't matter about the fifth because you're gone anyway. We may never know. 
But Simon, if you can find that out, I will buy you a pint of Guinness. <laughs> um, when when Suzuki say that they're negotiating leaving MotoGP, what they're basically trying to negotiate is how much money it's going to cost them. Um, everybody in the paddock would quite like to know what that figure is. Trust me, it's it's probably the question I've been asked most by everyone in the paddock this weekend. Have you heard any rumors about? <laughs> um, but it it has to be a really really substantial sum of money. It has to be like half the budget of running a MotoGP team every season, if so not you, more. You know, if not more. If not more. If not yeah, more. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've done so negotiations with Dorna. They 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 start high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if the decision to to walk away costs Suzuki twenty million euros, that wouldn't surprise me. Oh, I was thinking forty, which is the budget of the team. I'd say. Yeah, yeah. They didn't read the contract before they told the team. I'll put I'll put more than a pint of Guinness on that. Yeah. Sorry, Val. You could th- could theoretically spend that money on then trying to appease the independent teams to add an extra squad. You could, but the, that all depends on how long negotiations take because you can't yeah. you can't jimmy up an independent team from nowhere. Uh, but yeah, but the other thing true. is, I don't think there's any real desire to from Dorna because they've run a they've run a twenty two bike championship for what six or seven yeah. years now, and it's it's not. It hasn't added anything to the sport having another two bikes in the grid this year. I don't think. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be. Yeah, twenty two wouldn't be a disaster. It would just be regrettable in terms of the talent that misses out on a on a place yeah, on the yeah, grid. Exactly. But it's not like it's not backbreaking. This is not the end of no, the world. It's not a crisis. Yeah. No. And also, somebody purchasing the IP, Reese, to answer your question, that's never going to happen. That's. No factory is ever going to let something like that out of their hands. Uh, it'll go back to Japan. It'll either be set into concrete and part of a bridge or crushed or in a museum with the cod rods taken out of it. Um, that's, I'm afraid, what they do. Yeah, the, the the difference there in something like Braun F1 is that even car companies who run F1 teams seem to run them as sort of entirely separate enterprises. Like, I think there's not a huge amount of crossover between... Mercedes S-Class production line and the the sort of the Mercedes Formula One team whereas in bike racing and MotoGP they're a lot more integrated you know the the MotoGP project leader Zunichi Sahara was previously the project leader on the last generation of GSXR 1000 road bike um so the the actual IP that you're giving away by selling all your assets to someone else is you know it's corporate secrets it's it's trade info it's yeah, so I, I can't really see that happening. Um, there will be like, we, don't get me wrong, we'll turn up to a race next year at the start of the European season and someone will be using Suzuki's trucks or their hospitality unit or their et cetera, et cetera. But, but the, actual, the actual metal, the actual machines, like you say, Toby, unfortunately, they're going into a metal chipper. I uh, was at in in at a race. I think it was the end of the two strokes, two thousand two, the last two stroke year with the crossover, the first year of of nine ninety four stroke, and Yamaha backed a truck up to the Red Bull Yamaha uh, gaff, and they just they just had gears, they had fairings, and they just threw them into boxes. They th- chucked them in the back of this truck, and off it went into the sunset. Uh, there was no grace about it. There was no, oh, look after that. It'll go to the museum. No, chuck it in. Throw it in. Get rid of it. Heartbreaking, um, which is why I've got a gear cluster upstairs in, in the room, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think they missed that, and it's now twenty years down the line. So apologies, but there we go. Um, another question, also that has been sent in to podcasts at the race dot com. Hi, it's Andy from Porchester here. Uh, my question for you is this: with the Suzuki debacle running on at the moment and not knowing what's going on, and all of the talk being around where Mir and Rins are going to end up. Should the factories not, in fact, be clamouring after the signature of a certain Mr. Gintoli who has turned that bike around? Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, Mir and Rins are obviously the headline guys, but I think there's a lot of talent to plunder from that Suzuki team. Obviously, the respective crew chiefs, the test uh, team guru, Tom O'Kane, and yes, Gintoli. Gintoli is a, is a good shout. Um... There's, you know, still Mirren Rins are the headline items and the other ones are more 
luxury editions. I think can totally. There's no real test rider crisis in MotoGP, if that makes any sense. Like KTM has two really good ones. Um, the one team that maybe should look at Gantoli, I think maybe is Aprilia, as much as I like Lorenzo Savadori, uh, adding Gantoli to him would be a, a significant boost, I think. I don't know if... And he has a connection with them. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they <laughs> separated on good terms or not. I, I just can't recall. But yes, obviously he has a he has a connection and the bike's really good now. So it might be attractive to, to Gantoli too. And the budget presumably is there, but just otherwise, it's it's hard to really see where he'd fit in because most MotoGP teams are quite happy with their test riders or don't use them very much. So yeah, um, Honda's long happy with Stefan Bradl. Uh, by Honda, I mean Mark, but also presumably all of Honda, but definitely Mark, um, Ducati, Michele Pirro has done a great job there. Uh, KTM has the two really good guys. Uh, Yamaha and Cal, I think Simon is the expert there, so I'll let him answer after this. And yeah, there's we've exhausted the list, so there you go. I mean, Yamaha are probably the team that most least need a European test rider because they they don't use one very much, even though they have Cal Crutchlow, which is a very strange decision. Um, for me, the, the, the three most important technical people that anyone should be going after in that team are the three crew chiefs. Um, uh, Mir's crew chief, uh, Frankie Carchetti, who, hello, Frankie, regular podcast listener. Um, Mir's crew chief, Manu, Arin's crew chief, Manu, and Sylvan Gantoli's crew chief, Dr. Tom McCain, because he's, he's now a doctor. Tom literally invented motorbike telemetry, essentially. Um, data logging, yeah. Data logging. Yeah. He he is a very very intelligent man, um, and to me, yeah, if you were going after, I wouldn't be terribly surprised if Frankie goes with Mir wherever Mir ends up, because um, they've got a, a very very close working relationship. Um, to me, in terms of the test team, I, I'd rather have Tom McCain than Sylvan Gantoli, um, simply because Sylvan isn't exactly a spring chicken anymore. Um, he is obviously very very talented but he um yeah he's he's not the youngest guy on the test rider roster anymore and like you say Val everyone else is kind of settled with test riders um so it, it's yeah it's it's not that he's not capable he's more than capable but he's maybe at a point where stepping back from a bit of riding won't be the end of the world for him but um but yeah I I there should be a queue of people outside Tom McCain's door to try and get him into their test teams. Um, and the other thing about Gintoli is, you know, he keeps winning Le Mans 24 hours and he'll go to Suzuka and have a good go. So, uh, you know, the money's coming in another way. Um, does he need to, does he need to strife? And he's on every TV channel in MotoGP. Exactly. In, in, and he's got 18 children and he still goes faster on a GP track. Yeah. I mean, he's just, yeah, we're not jealous, are we? Not really. No. I'm not jealous um, of 18 children. But- <laughs> Does not sound like fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a he's a he's a top bloke. He's an absolute superstar, and yeah. uh, wherever he goes, whether or not he's got a crash helmet, leathers on, or a microphone in his hand, he is an asset. He is an absolute asset, little superstar. But uh, okay, well. Um, uh, Thank you, Andy, and thank you, Reese, for your questions. Uh, do send some in, and we'll have a whole podcast hour with your uh, your voice messages. That'll be good. Talking about uh, contract negotiations, Simon, uh, KTM are they um, are they got extra batteries for their mobile phones at the moment because they're going to be that hot? So KTM have have kind of been relatively quiet all the way through this whole silly season. Have kind of set the whole thing alight a bit this weekend. Um, we we have discovered, thanks to Alex Rins telling us, that they're very interested in Alex Rins. Uh, we've heard that they're talking to Jack Miller, which makes complete sense considering Jack Miller's personal manager is Aki Ayo, who runs KTM's highly successful, dominant Moto2 and Moto3 efforts. And his former team boss at Primark Racing is Francesco Godotti, who's now the overall head of KTM's on-road racing program. So it, it doesn't surprise that they're talking. Um, and But the, the, the strange thing is that 
Miguel Oliveira so Brad Binder signing a contract until the end of 2024 he's not going anywhere he's their top performing writer he's loved by them um but Miguel Oliveira actually almost sounds like someone who's who's moving closer to signing a KTM extension rather than further away from it like you would have maybe assumed given how much difficulty they're in with that bike but um yeah the Miller Miller in particular has been linked to a Tech 3 seat, to a satellite seat. And that's because there are two satellite rookies, um, Raul Fernandez and, and Remy Gardner, both sound just horrendously unhappy at the minute. Um, I, I don't think I've heard a rider sound so thoroughly dejected over the course of an entire weekend than Remy Gardner was this weekend, maybe since Joan Zarco was a KTM rider. It just, he is just, you know, he, he admitted that the best possible weather conditions for him in Sunday's race was a tornado that destroyed the track so he could just go home without having to race. He said that? Yeah. Isn't it? Oh dear, that's not a good place to be. No. And even if you are, you don't say it. If you say it, it's because you don't much care anymore because you don't feel that any you don't repercussions can come in that, yeah. or if they do come in, then it doesn't really matter anyway. Uh Remy's, you know, Remy's been a huge asset to MotoGP this year because he's very honest. He's very, he's clearly very clever. Uh, he's he's a very engaging person to talk to, uh, and it it sounds like MotoGP could very well lose him because he sounds miserable and he's hurt all the time and he's not gelling with the bike, and he's again he's getting hurt all the time and he got hurt again today. Well, the the thing is, he he almost he is gelling with the bike. In as much as anyone can gel with that bike, he was point two off Miguel Oliveira in qualifying. He's doing a relatively good job, but just the bike is a complete and utter waste of space at the minute. It, 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 you know what's funny? None of us would have seen it coming that the openly disgruntled Tech Three KTM rider would be Remy Gardner going into the season because of the long-standing perception that Raúl Fernandez doesn't really want to be there. Which, I mean, Raúl has changed his tone a little bit, but. He, I think he might just have a poker face going. And also, he's also hurt all the time. Um, they could lose both of them. They really, really could. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's going to run that. <clears throat> that is going to run. And if you were a satellite team who needed riders, you'd be looking to snap both of them up. Because I think both of them, relative to Oliver in particular, are not doing a bad job. Mm. Okay. Um, did I hear the stat that it was the first time since 83 or something? that Honda hadn't been in the top nine or something on a grid or something. Did I did I hear that right? Yeah, they weren't in the top nine on the grid, yeah, that's correct, because they were all bad in Q2. And Alex Alex Marquez got nowhere near Q2 and generally yeah. just... So that, that was Saturday's result. And then Mark Marquez predicted that he would be maybe fifth, sixth or seventh. Ultimately, he was sixth. But then he admitted, well, there, everybody else falling off in front of me, I was only ninth. Yeah, they're not oh, quick. Dear, yeah. They're slow. Mark Marquez is slow right now, which is just... things you thought you'd never say. And it's not—it's not, it's not Mark Marquez's Honda is slow, either. It's him as well. It's both. But but yeah, that's just all of it's just not working. It's just every qualifying that we watch, every FP3 that we watch, the 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 one shot that you can count on every single time is Mark attaching himself to the back of Banyaya or Aleish. Or Quartararo. It happens over and over and over again. And that is the admission that he's not fast. And he, you know, he readily readily says that. It also gets really irritating to watch at a certain point. It's, but, it's degrading almost, Val, isn't it? You think, Mark, he, he's not playing games anymore. He needs the bloody toe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I wouldn't say it's like, like, it, it would be, deg- like, it's not degrading to him. He definitely does not feel much in the way of shame doing that. And I'm, I'm not going to pass judgment on whether he should or shouldn't. It's MotoGP. You do what you must to get results until somebody slaps you on the wrist and stops you from doing it. If MotoGP Race Control doesn't do anything about it, then, hey, yeah, what what can you do? But, yeah, it's it's such a far cry from the memory of the Mark who used to, like, we could clearly see him, for instance, play with Maverick Vinales by following him, I think, at Cota or... Not or getting in the way at Cote, I don't remember, but he definitely, Cal Crutchlow always used to say that Mark toys with his rivals, and there it certainly felt that way, and right now, 
he can't toy with nobody. He's in no position to toy with anybody. All he can do is get the absolute maximum, and the absolute maximum right now isn't enough or anywhere near enough what Mark Marcus should be scoring. And the most damning thing about the whole thing for me is that more and more now over the last few weeks, we've seen a return of the amazing Mark Marquez save. Mm. And, and the thing about that is that to me says that physically things are okay again. You know, the, the arm is back because he couldn't do that when he was weak from the crash and the injury and the shoulder and the, all the, the things. But, but the fact that he is able to do that sort of suggests that he's not, physically battered he's just slow and that mega double passing maneuver uh, on the last double rights when he got past Quattararo and forgive me somebody I went bloody hell that's Mark he's back Ooh. he's back but trouble he's not at the front no. and he's still he's still oh, an excellent yeah. racer that, that yeah. won't oh, yeah. super aggressive yeah. and yeah that pass was just gold I love it just get it around there go on Go on. Um, right, just quickly, um, Zarco, how was he after getting his Frenchness all weekend? Uh, yeah, uh, fine. He was all right. Yeah. Um, another fine Zarco race that will help him stay at Pramac, I think. Okay, right. Paulus Bargaro, are we going to hide not the fine. kitchen knives from him? Yeah, he's another race that will not help him stay at, at Repsol Honda. So, uh, uh, a bit of a funny story to throw out there. We... Um, we Jack Miller said something at the start of the press conference about driving home tonight because he's driving back to Andorra, which is like a ten-hour drive. And Alesh was like, Alesh Espagaro was like, "You're you're driving home?" And Jack was jo- sort of jokingly like, "Well, will you never invite me in your private plane." Uh, we were a bit of a laugh about it. Then after the press conference, um, I was talking to Alesh, and he was like, "Right, I have to go." And I was like, "You've got a private plane. You've got no excuse to be in a hurry out of here." And he was like, "Yeah." But there's someone else in the private plane who is waiting on me because he is not happy. <laughs> Referring to his little brother. Um, just a disaster. He finished 11th. Yeah. And it's it's his track. It's a really good track for Paul. He was yeah. This was, I think, his best Honda weekend last year on the other Honda that he didn't like. Yeah. So, um, I don't I just It's a bit depressing, really. A little bit. Yeah. Paul Spargro on his first year on the KTM, which was 2017, was 12th in the race, not 11th as he was today. And in 2017, when he was on the orange bike, he did the last six laps and he came into the garage and he was he couldn't stand up. He was not very well. And he said, I can't remember the last six laps. He was ill. And he only finished one place lower. Oh dear! It was it was such a warrior on the KTM. It was so yeah, much fun. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he shouldn't have left. But <clears throat> uh, in the post race chat with the podium guys, but before they went on the podium, uh, they gave huge respect to Alex Rins on the Suzuki when he had his moment at the first corner. He went across the gravel. And he then lost it when he went over the bump to then back because they said he he was breaking because he Rins could see that he might hit other riders going through the right hand side of the the right hand corner of the chicane, and they said fair play he kind of sacrificed himself to not hit anybody. Yeah, Rins confirmed that. Yeah, that but was he, he was trying not to hit uh, Jack. Yeah. Okay, but the other riders could see it before they'd even spoken to him because they were back at the podium. So yeah, turn turn one. Turn one at Le Mans is probably the second scariest corner of the calendar, if you ask the writers. Probably after only turn one at Mugello over the hill, the dip. Um, and it's been a topic of conversation this weekend about what can be done about it. Um, because we saw multiple people do exactly what Rins did, um, but get away with it on the rejoin. Um, there was conversation about you know, do we need to make asphalt runoff there but then the problem if you make asphalt runoff so you're not running across the gravel is that if the bike if you fall as you reach the edge of the track yeah. the bike then annihilates itself into the wall it, it, yeah it's a really tricky one to come up with a solution to that it's going to take a bit of thinking and the biggest race of the year at Le Mans is not a bike race Exactly. So round around it goes. Um, other stuff that happened before the weekend at Le Mans was the statements from MotoGP technical side of things and the technical director, Danny Aldridge, about tyre pressure and such like. 
and it kind of said, well, we've we kind of maybe know what's going on, but the tire pressure sensors aren't calibrated to a constant. So we'll look at it into 2023. Have I summed that up correctly? You have, but it's kind of a slightly misleading statement from MotoGP in that they don't really want to do anything about this problem. Because if they start, (laughs) essentially, if they start kicking riders out of races for being over or under tire pressures, then there's going to be someone disqualified every weekend. Um, the no, problem good for the championship. The problem good for the show. No, and what it, what it really comes down to. No, no one's trying to gain an advantage here. Uh, what it really comes down to is that the Michelins are very, very sensitive to pressure changes. And if you think you're going to lead the race from start to finish, you put in a high pressure, and then if you end up in the pack, the pressure goes through the roof, and your rider falls off because there's no feeling from it. If you think you're going to be coming through the field and suddenly find yourself in the lead, you've put in too low of a pressure and it never gets high enough all race. And then you set off warnings because you're under the minimum pressure. But but we're, we're talking like fractions of a bar. We're not talking people trying to gain huge advantages here. Um, the, the I think what we'll see is um, it kind of gets kicked down the line and kicks down the line until 2025 when the new next generation Michelin front tire comes. And that will kind of that that's being developed partially specifically to address this problem, but it can't come before twenty twenty five. It can't come in twenty twenty four, because we now have so little uh, days of testing that the, mm. the riders simply don't have enough time to try it out at enough different tracks um, in twenty twenty three. So it's going to have to be twenty twenty three and twenty and some of twenty twenty four's test days. Michelin told me at the weekend, and then they'll they'll bring it in twenty five to race. That seems an awfully long way away because all I'm worried about is Magello in a fortnight's time. Um, <laughs> well then, seven races down, 14 to go in MotoGP for 2022. The winners so far this year have been Miguel Oliveira on the KTM, Alicia Spargaro on the Aprilia, Fabio Quattararo on the Yamaha, Peko Banyaya on the Factory Ducati. But now it's three Grand Prix victories for Enea Bastianini and the Grassini Ducati squads. This is going to be a cracker of a season. In fact, it is already. Keep in touch with us at the-race.com for all of your MotoGP and Formula One news. Don't forget to send your voice messages in to podcasts at the-race.com and let us know what you're thinking, what questions you've got, and don't forget to say where you are listening from around the world. In the meantime, from Val, from Simon and myself, Toby, enjoy your week. Tune back in again very soon. Goodbye for now. The Athletic.